0: You're listening to an irreverent podcast.
1: For more unholy content from our friends, head to irreverent.fm.
0: hey friends welcome to the speaking in church podcast i'm josie spencer's on mom duty but that's okay today we're joined by a very special guest and one of my newest and coolest friends derek from your favorite heretics wow so what's, up, what's up? <laughs> you're like so famous
1: <laughs> so famous except not as famous as the josie Oh yeah, the okay.
0: Josie,
1: <laughs> the one and only.
0: I think I'm famous probably for being a terror to lots of people. Ooh,
1: unpack that. Let's 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 unpack.
0: Oh, I love when people ask me questions or to do things.
1: <laughs> you thought I was coming to your podcast. You're actually <laughs> the, the role, Oh, how the uh, turns have tabled or whatever that office quote is.
0: Yep. Yep. <laughs> um i was actually just on the chapel probation podcast and um scott was telling me like i knew who you were based on all the trouble you caused at apu except i didn't put two and two together until i put two and two together it was like oh shit! Um, (laughs) yeah i've always been just stirring up trouble Uh, apu on the internet
1: i almost Uh, went to apu that's funny
0: Ooh, where did you end up going (laughs)
1: <laughs> I uh, went to a uh, community college in Woodland Hills, California, called Los Angeles Pierce College. Uh, and then after that, I spent two years at Eternity Bible College. You would have had
0: more fun at AP. How did?
1: Yeah, founded by uh Francis Chan. So <gasps> I don't usually use the name of where I went. So now I've outed myself. Uh oh.
0: Yeah, you definitely would have had more fun at APU. It's a, a little bit more Maybe. of a regular university with a lot of Christianity thrown in. Yeah. But it's one almost of the more liberal. Too, which
1: oh, no. A leaf between you and, and Biola.
0: Well, Biola is yeah. just i mean yeah as an apu person fuck viola but also as a yeah. <laughs> deconstructed human <laughs> viola sucks Viola's is much more conservative ap we had school dances and if you Ooh. were with the right crowds there was parties every weekend off campus
1: and <laughs> oh so fun
0: yeah uh half conservative half liberal but the half liberal were not that liberal so <laughs> yeah it was pretty funny but yeah ap was a blast caused a lot of trouble there Um, but I was also very involved. I was a classic poster child for APU, but like not the one that they wanted.
1: (laughs) (laughs) The not so classic, classic poster child.
0: Yeah, exactly. And, um, yeah, I caused a lot of trouble. It's fun.
1: They knew you were trouble when you walked in. Right.
0: Yeah. Except I really don't like Taylor Swift. So how dare you talk about it? Ooh, let's, let's unpack that. (laughs) Um, Swifties in, in the house tonight. I know. I it harkens all the way back to the beef with Kanye West, and I was Team Kanye West. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just,
1: finish, but
0: <laughs> I'm not um I'm not Team Kanye West in in general, right? Now. I mean, oh yeah, let's yeah. No. I'm a fan, but not a fan. Ah
1: <laughs> oh, man, there's so much there to talk about. Yeah, Kanye.
0: yeah. Sorry, Swifties. Um. I always say she's just not good enough for me to want to listen to, but that's even more problematic. Anyways, uh Derek, tell us about yourself. Tell us about um your life story, your testimony, where you got to where you are now. Short, mm. sweet, long, whatever you want.
1: Do we have like uh like uh keys to, to pad underneath this testimonial time so I can like lead an altar call at the end and invite everybody to be Do-do-do. saved? Yeah, I don't you know. all didn't know this is actually a, a, a proselytizing episode.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh,
1: okay, maybe not.
0: You're absurdly um, good at that, though. When we were at Wild Goose <laughs> and you just started going all Hillsong in the living room while we're all drunk. Uh, this is a
1: little. Oh, much. oh, my God. I wish and I don't wish that there was video footage of. Oh, there that. is. Oh, God. Um, well, maybe for those of are people who are supporters of your Patreon, um, if that exists.
0: Uh- <laughs> Honestly, I've been lazy about the Patreon thing. I don't want more work, <laughs> but...
1: Well, there you go. That'll be the first, uh, yeah. <laughs> first little thing behind the paywall.
0: Yes. Okay, great. Um, uh, tell so, if y'all want
1: to see me lead an altar call with a terrible Australian accent, <laughs> becoming a Hillsong pastor and being yeah. super yeah. evangelical, um, go ahead and become the first Patreon supporters uh, the, you know, the, this wonderful podcast that <laughs> we're now part of. So, uh, <laughs> um, but anyway, no, so a little bit about me. Um, I grew up, um, in Southern California, um, born and raised in the evangelical world of non-denominational Christianity, which in and of itself is very much a denomination, which mm-hmm. is very ironic. Um, so, you know, uh, I was told I like prayed the prayer at three or four years old, and um, was like baptized at five, and uh, got slain in the spirit at. Si- no, I'm kidding. Uh, and the people are like, "Whoa, where is this oh, going?" Oh gosh. Um, no, uh, that wasn't until I was in YWAM. Just kidding. Uh, which I did. I was in YWAM for a bit, but I never got slain in the spirit. So, uh,
0: <laughs> I have a lot wow, of opinions on YWAM. <laughs>
1: um, so anyway, uh, after after my time, um, you know, growing up in the whole non denominational world, um, it wasn't until I was. want to say like my freshman year of college where I was like, what am I doing with my life? I know I will go to Bible college, um, (laughs) at some point because I feel quote unquote called to ministry. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. so anyway, I, um, at that point knew a few friends who were a part of now that I've added myself eternity, Bible college (laughs) was again, started by Francis Chan and I decided to uh, spend some time there, and that's where I met my lovely wife, Rachel, Um and uh, we were destined to be heretics together, I guess you could say. Amen. So <laughs> we did. Uh, so we, we took the, the typical Bible college route. We dated for five months, got engaged, eloped after six months, were pregnant a month after eloping, and then <laughs> had our wedding uh, a couple months after that. Had two year visas to go spend time in England, which is what found us in YWAM in England, training to be missionaries. Three months into that, halfway through our program, my wife was very homesick. She's Mm -hmm. not from California. Cue sad sound effect. Um, So (laughs) I found myself in Georgia,
0: which is
1: where she grew up. So I made my way to the South. Um, And about seven years ago, uh, we moved to the greater Atlanta area. And um, right after my son was born, um, you know, we were involved in a in an Australian Hillsong family church,
0: <laughs> like a house church.
1: No, uh, not a house church. Very much mega church. Um, and uh, oh, like I, it was
0: part of the Hillsong family. Hillsong family church. <laughs> um, so <laughs> very misleading, by the way. <laughs> yeah, it was basically for name
1: only, so that they could get some, chase that clout, you know. Mm. Um, but anyway. So it was part of that for a bit, and right when my son was born, I started to have these questions, um, you know either you know, I am more loving than God. I remember having this thought looking at my son when he was you know just a little baby, um, imagining him having you know even just the worst life, thinking I could never do any harm to him, but I was like, either I'm more loving than God or my idea of God being love and my understanding of hell is fundamentally fucked. Like mm-hmm. it's completely flawed. And so that sent me on to the beginning of exploring like what are these other ideas about how, like, what is it, what does it really mean for me to know that? So I've had these experiences, I've had this internal knowing of the divine to be completely loving and and in a sense, genuinely safe. And, and my spirituality was really founded around this, this, this understanding that like, like I know God to be love in this experience of my spirituality, but then theologically I'm handed this shit that says in the same breath of God being love, that, that love would drive God to torture people endlessly who mm-hmm. are image bearers and therefore children of God. So I was exposed to a a lot of other theologians and thinkers who, you know, spent a lot of time um, digging into this. Uh, Peter Hyatt, um, I remember coming across uh, a podcast from William Paul Young when he was on the Bad Christian podcast, um, talking um, and really um, speaking against penal substitutionary atonement. Um, And I remember some of these things really just being like light bulbs that went off. I was like, I knew this in my heart. I didn't have language for it. And so that was like the beginning of the dominoes falling. But I think at that time I wasn't ready for my world to fall apart. So I was like, I'm going to dig my heels back into the cognitive dissonance. I'm going to shelve this for a minute and I'm going to go back kind of playing my, my evangelical game. And at the time I was also working uh, for (laughs) a company that helped, churches and ministries get their 501c3 so doing all the legal compliance work for them Ooh. oh yeah oh yeah so i was you know talking to pastors and all these people who were ambitious and, and pursuing their call of ministry and saying they wanted to save the lost from hell and in the back of my mind i'm like this is bullshit this is bullshit this is bullshit And it's like, I, I I reached a crossroads, which many of us experience in deconstruction where it's like, either I continue suffering under my cognitive dissonance of recognizing that my experience of the divine and the theology that is just absolutely toxic that I was handed doesn't reconcile or, um, you know, I continue to just ignore it. And it's just like that pain of ignoring these questions and these glaring contradictions um, became too much. Uh, I ended up leaving that job and pursuing another uh, direction uh, vocationally. And that allowed me to have the space to really unshelf those questions and just tackle deconstruction full on. And uh, so, yeah, I really started when I became a dad and, and really challenging um, the idea of love, the idea of justice, the idea of, um, you know, what does it, what does it really mean for God to be love, you know? And so I think love as an ethic really transformed the way I understood and approached truth and uh, the way that I I filtered my understanding of the divine. So yeah, that's kind of what began my, my process in deconstruction.
0: Hmm. Well, not to talk about how you're famous, tell us a little bit about your favorite heretics and how that all started. Cause I, you laugh, but I'm on your Instagram right now and you have 51.5 thousand followers. Wow. And to me, that's famous. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's,
1: it's funny. I, Rachel and I both never expected anything like this to happen. Um and it wasn't until um July of 2020 after the world had shut down <laughs> um that Rachel and I recognized that our deconstruction process uh respectively crossed paths. And she wanted to start an Instagram called Your Favorite Heretic singular. She's like, but I want to do it with you. I want us to do this thing together. Let's call it your favorite heretics. Do you want to do this with me? The whole purpose was to (laughs) instead of answering every exhausting DM and coffee invite and yada, yada, yada that you get as you come public with your deconstruction it was a way for us to point people to like, okay, this is what we believe. This is what we're processing. Please stop asking us the same questions over and over. (laughs) And we're like, you know, if it can help a couple extra people outside of our sphere, awesome. Um, And uh, what really kind of changed our approach and, um, you know, kind of what we were Understanding our our role was in that account was, we posted something on church trauma, and it was just a, a slide series that had a couple points um, under each, talking about these this common experience that many of us who have spent time in church in any capacity, you know, these traumatic and very harmful experiences, and um, I, it it started getting traction and then more traction and more traction. And then our account kind of like just exploded. Like it just kind of overnight just took on a life of its own. And we were like, what is, what is going on? Um, it got shared on Facebook, uh, on two separate occasions. I think it, it got like over 20,000 like 20,000 shares on Facebook. Um, I I think it's in the hundreds of thousands of impressions on Instagram, that single post, but it struck a a nerve. It struck a chord. And I think the bigger thing that that taught us is that, wow, like many of us share uh, a a lot of commonality around this, this trauma and this pain that is like religious trauma. And I think that really opened our eyes and we were flooded with story after story after story um, of people who, just felt seen for the first time, It felt like they can open up and share their experience. And it was at a time again, where I was coming across more and more people going through this phenomenon known as deconstruction. But I mean, my eyes were open to that. This was a really, really widespread thing happening, not just in some people I was coming across, but like hundreds of thousands of people, if not millions of people all around the world going through this very thing. And um, it was sobering Uh, reading, you know, people's stories of survival from abuse, um, you know, all kinds. And just really, I, I think Rachel and I both recognize like, we're being given an opportunity to create a space of safety where people um, have experienced a lot of harm and a lot of hurt. And, um, and it, it became our, our, our desire to, to really foster a community where people felt seen, felt loved, felt accepted, felt safe, um, to navigate deconstruction and healing from religious trauma. And, um, so yeah, that, that kind of really set things in motion. Um, and over the last eight months, we've really been, or probably well, well, uh, a little bit longer, than, I mean, for all of 2022, we've really been uh, slowing things down as far as our act- activity, but um, more of just like, okay, what what role do we want to have in c- like furthering the conversation without just adding a bunch of noise
0: mm-hmm.
1: and just kind of saying the same thing to stir the pot? Like, I think there's value in raging against the system of harm, um, and and rightfully calling out abuse. I think for us, we want to um, be part of of helping people heal and, and and contributing toward a conversation that continues to further people in a direction that um, they don't kind of feel like stuck chasing their tail in the same place. If that makes sense, so. Mm. Yeah. I think we've kind of been, um, figuring out, okay, what's next. And, but I mean, at the end of the day, underneath it all, I, I, I'm so thankful for so many people that I've come to know, um, who've gone through very similar experiences of leaving a a fundamentalist upbringing and coming into a space where they're like, gosh, this is scary and terrifying leaving certainty behind, but like, Genuinely freeing, healing, uh, comforting to know that I'm not alone, that these questions that have been eating at me, these parts of myself that I've not accepted, et cetera, et cetera, that it's actually okay. Like I'm okay to, to, to think through these things, to feel these things, to, to pursue these things and allow these questions to guide me instead of these answers to stifle me that I've been handed um, through indoctrination. So, Yeah.
0: I am honestly so impressed um, that you, as a white male, did not initially come out with a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, I say that as somebody who's deconstructed and uh, has a
1: podcast. You have a podcast? No way. <laughs> That's so cool.
0: Yeah, it's pretty funny. Although, I'm I'm a woman, so it's a little different, you know? But This is true. I really resonate with that because I feel like a lot of times... Yeah, like when Spencer and I started this podcast, it was this idea of, yeah, it's fun to bitch, but what is what were the solutions that we are trying to come to or offer to other people, which I feel like is what you're saying, right? Like, yeah, yeah it's fun to say, yeah, fuck Mark Driscoll, he sucks, but also how do we then continue on in a mark driscoll world how do we get to that point
1: <laughs> absolutely i am all for a mark driscoll world that's uh that's a mouthful but yeah it, it's true i mean i think you know it's kind of like the stages of grief right like there's mm. there's all sorts of um facets that we experience but you know with with all the stages of grief like there's we return to them. Like, so there's going to be times where we're going to need to rage and there's going to be times where we're going to need to barter. And there's going to be times where we're going to, you know, miss certainty and miss aspects of, you know, the life that we, that felt so comforting and sheltering. And, uh, you know what I mean? Like it, it, it was easy to be able to check out and just be like, well, the Bible says it and that settles it kind of thing. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, but, but the point is, is like, there's an expansive space that we're invited into of freedom um, of mystery and of curiosity that really genuinely is far more conducive to our growth and transformation as humans than being boxed into a closed system of absolutes. Mm. And for me, um, Fully embracing the even existential anxiety that comes with leaving certainty behind and embracing curiosity um, actually can be quite empowering to us saying, you know, I'm okay not knowing everything. And you know, I was told that I have all the answers. And while that worked for a little bit of time, as soon as I began to be honest with my questions, I recognized that that's a more honest way of living. Mm. And, you know, I think that anytime we're more honest with ourselves about how we feel and what we think and what we desire, um, that's how we experience being more alive. Um, Talk about living life to the full you know fullness of life that jesus talks about it's i mean like that's that that principle of of Im- becoming fully human this process of ever evolving transformation you know if if we if we stay stuck in one way of thinking our entire lives to me that's that's not a conducive way of uh, of of embracing change, which is so fundamental to us, um, healing and growing and learning. Um, you know, I've, I've been really, um, encouraged or, um, inspired if you will, by this thought around spiritual curiosity or spiritual, um, fluidity, excuse me. And spiritual fluidity to me is, recognizing that we're constantly in a state of change and you know where it used to be very easy for us to label ourselves as this or that um, you know spiritual fluidity is recognizing that yeah I may have a tradition Christianity for me is my tradition it's my native tongue it's the language I grew up speaking it may be the way that I think and process and understand the world and there's so much value in me learning from people, whether it's native spirituality or Eastern mysticism or, um, you know, uh, those who practice witchcraft or, or whatever. Like, I mean, I've got a, a, a thing of tarot cards next to me. Um, and uh, shout out to Kevin Garcia, my, my great friend, uh, their book, <laughs> their book uh, tarot is cool has been such a helpful guidebook and exploring that, but as a practice. And I, I have to say that life is so much more beautiful and enriching when we in open ourselves and, and have a posture of openness to other ways of thinking outside of our tradition that we were handed.
0: I agree. Um, I actually types of conversations with my dad a lot because he inherited his spirituality and he adjusted it a little bit. Um, women are allowed to wear pants in his congregation, you know, not there in my go. grandma's, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's so funny because my, my parents came to this country and they wanted their kids to have every opportunity. They were very adamant about their kids being educated and smart, which luckily my dad is in, in the smartest person i've ever met in my life so it's kind of inherited i didn't have to work to be smart <laughs> Um, and they bitch about kind of who me and my siblings are now, because we are both of my siblings don't go to church, they're not interested. I'm the middle child, I'm the black sheep, I'm the bad kid, and I'm the only one that goes to church and now preaches at a church, so you know they hate me more though, and my perversion <laughs> of God versus my <laughs> sibling's abandoning of god so, and it's interesting because I have conversations with my dad, and I'm like if the lord made everything why shouldn't i learn from everything why should i continue to learn if i learned that the canon is corrupted by white men why shouldn't i take that into account when i read this book of history it doesn't take away the beautifulness of literature as somebody who enjoys reading constantly it doesn't take away from the lessons that i could glean it just means that i don't have to hold it as this sword of truth Uh, it's of of
1: spirit (laughs) Um, yeah it's true though i mean uh it's a very modern way of us approaching the Bible to treat it as a collection of proof texts that, um, reinforce our, our preconceived ideas of what the text intends to communicate. Mm. And, uh, you know, I'm thankful for people like Pete ends and, 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 uh, you know, who who's written many great books, like the Bible tells me. So, um, you know, another shout out their podcast, the Bible for normal people is incredible, but, um, you know, uh, Pete, often talks about how the Bible is meant to behave. And one of the most transformative and pithy quotes um, from him is, you know, the Bible is really God letting his children tell the story. Mm. And I think that is such a simple and profound way of understanding it, especially as a dad who has kids, um, understanding that, you know, the scriptures are so inherently human and as they should be. I mean, you have a collection of ancient texts spanning thousands of years in a very different context than our Western postmodern civilization that we live in, um, where, you know, people are either, uh, oppressed and under empire or, you know, they're surrounded by other, um, you know, um, cultures that influence their way of understanding the world they're borrowing mythology and and story to communicate truths and um you know we're we're approaching the the text in a way that we're looking for everything to be read very literally and Mm. even the tradition that we come from within you know if you look back at church history many of the you know the early patristics who you know, were the earliest to develop any form of hermeneutic understood that the scriptures were to be seen at the, like the lowest level of interpretation is the flat literal reading of scripture. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I mean, they, they admired the allegorical and the, you know, the imaginative, imaginative way of, of approaching the text, the mystical way. Mm. Um, and and to me, again, that that just reinforces that we've we've taken this, this library of multi-genre, multivocal, uh, you know, very human text and 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 misconstrued it to be something entirely that it's not. Yeah. You know, yeah. can it contain inspiration and and thumbprints or fingerprints of the divine? Sure but so can you, so can I, so can our words, so can this podcast, you know, so can anything that we create because we're all made in the image of the divine. And and that to me is something that none of us were taught that our words and our, our understanding, our reflection can be just as inspired as anyone else of the biblical authors um, and if you say that from the pulpit in most churches, you'd be kicked out as a heretic,
0: mm-hmm. which
1: is part of why I've, uh, embraced that scarlet letter as a badge of honor, um, as it is. So
0: I love it. I feel like, yeah, oftentimes the most divine things I've ever experienced have not happened in a church. And granted, I was a bad Pentecostal. I remember going to the Assemblies of God had this thing called missionettes, which it was like the young girls ministry. We'd go to weekend camps and it was pretty intense. I mean, worship night at the end, everybody would get slain in the spirit. They would do the tunnels and the walking through the and, fire tunnels. <laughs> uh, and I was like, I'm 11 years old. I can't relate. I never spoke in tongues. I didn't get baptized by 12 years old. That was customary in my church because I was like, I don't think I got this figured out. Like, I don't I don't. This is a huge commitment, isn't it? Like, that's what you're telling me, that this is a huge commitment. Don't want to make it right now. Um, and then when I left APU and I decided that I was fucking over it, i kept interacting with people that were so different than me people that i was always told to keep clear of um like sex workers and them talking Mm -hmm. about sexuality and Mm -hmm. i people asking me how i can bear to live in los angeles with all the homeless people and i think like Mm -hmm. there's something so divine with human resilience willing to put up with anything in order to survive like Mm whether it's living in a tent or rejecting help that isn't really help because they're just trying to control you and your narrative and now i go to a church that recognizes all those things and granted we have some some folks that are a little bit older school than i am but also it's so divine to me that they have grown up in this methodist church and when it turned into affirming they didn't run away screaming because they thought well this is my home and if these people want to join my home then i'm going to honor that and we just had a, a whole sermon on anti-racism and i preached about immigration last sunday and i can do all we can do all these things together and just the mere fact of us joining in this mission, regardless of whether we really agree with each other or not, that has been the most divine experience I've ever had, not reading these pages that are so perverted by other people for their own cause. Mm -hmm. I mean, we straight up talked about this last Sunday about how the slave owners, thought that they were right because of the bible because of that's yeah. how they interpreted it and seeing the transformation in lots of people that i know and love because i'm willing to ask the questions like okay but if homosexual is not a word that's actually in the bible what does that mean for the culture that we're currently in and seeing those little like clocks twirl in their heads and thinking wow this is like divinity this is what it's all about is coming together and having these conversations and trying to figure it out together, not just what some people had to say 2000 years ago.
1: Absolutely. I mean, there's, there's a trajectory uh, of progress and transformation and change as far as how people perceive the divine all throughout the, um, the various books in the canon. Um, and I think that that's so human. I mean, Mm -hmm. uh, as you see, like, as you mentioned, I mean, just how people weaponized scripture to justify slavery. Um, I think that same, uh, recognition in the next, hopefully you know, couple years uh, down the road, if not, I, I, you know, that's probably a little ambitious. I'd say in the next generation, I would imagine uh, they'll be looking back and be like, "Wow, like how could they have ever used the Bible to discriminate against LGBTQ plus people?" You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And like, I just think that it takes people recognizing that, you know, this isn't a static. Tradition that we're part of it's a yeah, very yeah. dynamic growing progressive um tradition and we we've had reformation we've had changes we've you know there have been very 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 dark points all throughout church history and some glimmering brighter moments but um what is true is that there's these cyclical processes of transformation where, you know, there's something glaringly wrong and it's called, you know, out. And then there's a process of changing that. And then there's like a, you know, period of like thriving. And then it like kind of goes back down of like, Oh gosh, here we go again. There's corruption. And like this, Mm. you know what I mean? It's like, there's, there's, it's very cyclical. Yeah, Um, Yeah. But I think what, what's important, um, you know, and I'm not involved in the church. Um, and I have a very, uh, very interesting relationship with the label Christian, even though I love Jesus, I genuinely do. Um, and I believe I have a very mystical and real union with Jesus. Um, but my point of bringing that up is, if the church is to survive and continue to move forward, there needs to be those people who are willing to stand in the way of all those who are willing to throw and hurl all sorts of stones of, you know, you're wrong, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I think that's kind of what a a good portion of those who are deconstructing are hoping for is that this is going to be what, moves this conversation forward around what what does it really mean uh to know god like what does it really mean to understand following jesus Mm -hmm. what does it really mean to know what these scriptures are intending to be uh you know doing uh in in the context of our ever-evolving tradition um
0: yeah I mean, I think for me, I think of all these little rebellions, right? Like I am, I'm a big fat rebel. So I kind of broke all the rules at once, but I think of back to my dad and thinking of our Latin tradition of Pentecostalism and praying over your sicknesses and my dad putting me in therapy as a child, which was like unheard of. I mean, in Mexico, over the release, I can say this, we're not very into therapy, right? Like, the Lord will heal you. You're not depressed. Just pray it away. Whatever, whatever, whatever. <laughs> and for whatever reason, my dad put me in therapy as a kid. And it was a little selfish. I mean, it's for immigration processes. But he is able now to see that through the challenging of that of just putting your kid in therapy because your kid needed therapy seeing the fruit of that of me breaking all these generational cycles and me uh, wanting to become a better person help other people because i was helped and all these things like he's seeing the evolution of christianity just by his one rebellion whether he really likes every aspect of what i do or not i think he still thinks it's good right like my kid was angry and now, now she's not so angry and now she's preaching and she might not be well preaching about what i like but at least she's still connected to the divine and i just think that these little rebellions that we're all having whether there is as extremist as mine or yours or not help us kind of come back to our humanity and mm-hmm. Christianity often wants you to ignore your humanity.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Despite your sacred text saying that we were made in the image of God, our humanity is divine. Coming mm-hmm. back to that humanity and questioning and having doubts is part of divinity.
1: Mhm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's that dualism that that causes us to to separate ourselves and and that whole the spiritual versus physical or secular versus sacred. there's this, there's this distinctions in these, uh, uh, divides that we want to create, but I mean, there is a genuine interconnectedness of everything. And, um, <laughs> I guess I'm just plugging everything tonight, but
0: I like it, um,
1: okay. you know, Rob Bell, who's been a lot of like a, very much a figurehead of, you know, deconstruction for, for many people, um, a gateway drug, if you will. Uh, he, you know, he has had a recent book called everything spiritual, and that was a really, really good book. Um, I, I, found it very, um, encouraging and, and, uh, Rob doing what he does is, you know, telling stories and making it very, uh, inspiring and finding yourself within them. But his whole idea is that like all of life is spiritual, mm. you know, and all of life is sacred. And, and, and I think that again, going back to what you're saying, is that you know, there's there is a genuine holy rebellion and deconstruction. Like there's there's something very beautiful about saying, no, fuck this like certainty that I've been handed. This black and white way of viewing the world, this rigid, you know, understanding and this this even exclusivist kind of mindset. I'm willing to defy what I've been told because I'm daring that God is that you know that the divine is far bigger than and more expansive and inclusive and loving and you know um and it, like Invasive in the sense of being involved in every aspect and detail of reality, like the ground of all being is, as Tillich says, like I, that, that is kind of what inspires us to say, you know, I'm, I'm going to dare to do this, this, this thing of, of embracing my questions to the point of saying, I'll lose community that I was a part of I'll, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll risk my own, um, you know, the sense of comfort, this sense of um, you know, even like the the connection with our our blood families are, you know, many of us have strained relationships with our families because of deconstruction. Yeah. And and to, to have these uh these these straw mans that have been created that deconstruction sexy and for street cred and all this shit that has been thrown around by the church for those who have never gone through it. Uh, it's so ridiculous because, again, it's it, it's been all ins- it's been inspired truly by us saying like, no, we want to take this shit seriously. Mm-hmm. Like, we want to really understand what it means to be human, what it means to know the divine, what it means to, um, you know, to understand truth. And like, us taking it seriously means that we're gonna, you know, not stop until we really get to the core of it all.
0: And yeah. I mean, why is it that the, those of us who are the most devoted are the ones that leave and deconstruct? You said it. <laughs> yeah. It always it's ends true. up that way too. It's
1: very true. And, you know, to me, it it just speaks to um kind of the movement of spirit, that there is a movement of spirit that uh, people want to box and people want to try to confine and label and calculate. And, you know, again, it's, it all goes back to our very Western understanding, but I think there's a real beauty of seeing, like you were saying earlier, like we were talking about of this, this curiosity and this even spiritual fluidity that says I can recognize the beauty of, of, of the divine and all sorts of faith traditions and all sorts of people because, um, uh, according to my tradition, Christ is all and within all. Mm-hmm. And I can see that. And to me, this enriches my faith. Um, and maybe for some, and I don't want anybody who is you know, agnostic or atheist to feel turned off by this conversation. Um, so I, I want to make that a point. But for those who are trying to make sense of you know, where do I go from here kind of thing? Where, how do I reimagine a spirituality, you know, on the other side of, of being part of fundamentalism or any form of evangelicalism? Um, and I, I really think that at the end of the day, the more we allow ourselves to be open to people's experiences and their, their, their ways of seeing the world, the more we, we realize that we're all not so different.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and and that brings us all together. That to me looks more like the Christ that I know than us building up higher walls and looking down our nose at people who don't believe the same way that we do.
0: I agree. I mean, that's what has really given me compassion with people who are much more conservative than I am, whether they're white or brown or whatever, is I think I could think like you. If circumstances were different, I could have been you because we are one and the same, because we can all kind of end out down these paths because our lives went a certain way. Like my deconstruction has given me much more compassion for humanity, as more so than my religiosity did.
1: Yeah, and for uh, a tradition that was so hell bent, huh, no pun intended <laughs> on, you know, the bumper sticker Christianity of love God, love people, right. You know, taking Jesus's words of summing up all the law and the prophets into a pithy statement, mm. you know, loving, loving the divine and loving humans as we love ourselves. Like we recognize that that means like actually love, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Like it's a, not it's an action, not, not like,
1: like judging and condemning people for being different or thinking differently than we do. Mm-hmm. I think in order for us to love, there has to be a, a willingness and an openness to acknowledge, Hey, I don't have it all figured out. I don't mm-hmm. know. And I don't need to know. I don't have to have all the answers. Like, for whatever reason, there's been, you know, an over-obsession within the last advent of church history around this this tight-fisted, like, grip on truth, as if that's like, I don't know. I don't fully understand it, and I know that it, it has to do with trying to you know, stay relevant and push against the rise of science and all these things of of different ways of arriving at truth and understanding of the cosmos. But um, instead of, again, having a curiosity and an openness and desire to understand, there's been a rigidity and a closed off and a, and a, a separation. And what that does is that not only stifles the church from being able to grow and evolve in a healthy way, but it causes them to lose any credibility with the love that they claim to have, because what ends up happening is they end up excluding, calling it love, and gaslighting people, and along the way, instead of recognizing that they're the ones in need of changing, they're mm-hmm. like they're the ones in need of recognizing that they don't have all the answers, even though that they've convinced themselves that they do. And um, I think that the church needs to return to a place of recognizing that it was never meant to have primary real estate over objective truth. Yeah. It was meant to be, uh, extending the hand of friendship to the rest of humanity with a commonality of saying like, I too don't know. Mm -hmm. I too like have this wonderful experience of the divine through the person of Christ. And hey like this is my experience what's yours right and and um you know how people have even weaponized what, one of the the realizations that i've even had with with how scripture's been weaponized um for example the whole i am the way the truth and the life right no one comes to the father except through me and, you know people holding up those signs and stuff i've genuinely come to see that verse to mean I like I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Jesus saying no matter what way. No matter where you find truth. Mm-hmm. No matter where you experience life. I am. That's where I am. Whatever tradition you are, that's where I am. And to me, that speaks to the cosmic Christ who is expansive into all things. This this panentheism, you know if you want to use that very big theological term or or even just the, the reality that there is there is no place in truth or whatever is going to 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 bring life whatever is going to help you along the way in your journey where you won't experience a divine and Jesus says that's who I am mm-hmm that's universal experience to all people. That's not a, hey, you, you better think like I do and believe like I do, or else you're going to roast over flames forever in agony. So
0: anyway. Yes, Pastor Derek. Wow. <laughs> I love it. I um, As we close down this lovely podcast episode, um, full of lots of deep, um, truths. (laughs) I want to encourage our listeners to remember how difficult it was for you to deconstruct and how scary it was. And remember that next time you're talking to somebody who's pretty staunch in their religiosity. I mean, it takes a brave soul to be willing to wrestle with these universal questions and these big concepts. Um, I mean, how many of us are scared to die even though we don't believe in hell? <laughs> it's still a fear, right? Because mm-hmm. it's unknown. Absolutely. And we're all stepped into the unknown because we were probably stupid enough to do so. And they, <laughs> it's comfortable to sit in the certainty, even if it's not real, right? Because yeah. at least you think it is. So have patience, friends. That is my encouragement for today. Any final thoughts, Derek?
1: Yeah. um, I I just want to encourage anybody who feels like they're obligated to stay in any particular place to either uh, make other people happy or feel like they have to stay, you know, quote unquote Christian or whatever, in order to even appease the divine or to, uh, you know, the, the whole question that lives in the back of my head. What if I'm wrong? What if, what if deconstruction isn't true? Like what if, <laughs> what if hell is real? You know, all these things, you know, I hope for a second you can take the pressure off because I think that a lot of our upbringing, you know, or whatever experience that you have within fundamentalism or evangelicalism, we we were given this very high stakes way of viewing the world and our lives mm. as if we were meant to, you know, we were taking an exam and we have to get a hundred percent right. Or else you're going to burn. You know what I mean? And not only do you have to pass your exam, but you got to make sure, you know, everyone that you know and love passes their exam too, you know? And so point being is guys, it's not, it really is not about having the answers. Mm. It's about following your questions, stay curious, stay open
0: mm-hmm.
1: and, and, and stay gentle with yourself because this is hard. It, it can feel scary and overwhelming, but it's, it's going to bring so much healing and so much peace and so much freedom. And to me, if God is love, then why wouldn't God want that for you?
0: Yeah. And you should not be having a trauma response to God. <laughs> that's decades of therapy talking. <laughs> yeah. No trauma responses to the Lord. But.
1: Yeah. Well, and and even to my friends who may not have a desire to have any spirituality of any kind, that's Okay. Mm-hmm. I really think that's okay. I love my atheist friends, I genuinely do. Amen. Um, you know what I mean? Everyone has a seat at the table that is so so valuable, and I think that that is the beauty of even the deconstruction space is that there's no one size fits all deconstruction journey. Mm-hmm. You know, plug it all in and spits out this is the result. It's it's really not a cookie cutter. It's so unique to everybody, but at the same time, there is overlap. So yeah, I guess I I just would wrap that long-winded close with, uh, (laughs) you know, if you don't have friends, if you don't have other people who are going through this, um, I will plug our Facebook community that um, Your Favorite Heretics, uh, it's called Your Favorite Heretics Community Discussion. Um, It's on Facebook. And, um, you know, there's people sharing their stories all the time and it's a very supportive space. Um, it's a wonderful community. Um, and I'm very, very thankful to have so many amazing people who are part of it. So if you're looking to meet other folks deconstructing, um, you know, maybe we can do a little link in the show notes or something like that,
0: but hell yeah, um, cool. Yeah. I was going to ask you to plug. We got ahead of me. I love it. I love a podcast guest who knows what to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, friends, this has been a great conversation. I hope it has inspired you. I hope that you have come away at the very least having had a good time. You know, I think we're fun people. Sometimes. Anyways, sometimes. I mean, yeah, especially when with, we're uh, all in the same house.
1: With same house, little booze, a little bit of that, uh, you know the lord's herb
0: the lord's Um, herb (laughs) although that delta eight shit that they got going down in the south is not it okay i I love my california high quality weed (laughs) (laughs) but that's a podcast for another time
1: (laughs) that will be for part two so stay tuned for our delta eight episode (laughs) sponsored by
0: whoever makes that shit. (laughs) (laughs) All right, friends. Well, as always, you know where to find us speaking in church at Instagram at whatever speaking in church and I'm at Josie Takes the World and you can't follow Spence anymore because she has a baby and she don't want you looking at the baby. Safety first. Um, All that to say, friends, stay woke or get woke and have a nice day. Goodbye.